Welcome to the Brave Feminine Leadership Podcast, where we share stories from amazing leaders just like you and me. We break down myths of leadership, imposter syndrome, and we ask what brave feminine leadership means and does it need to change? All of these interviews were originally recorded in video format. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Brave Feminine Leadership for news on when new video series will be dropping. It's wonderful to meet you. Drop me a note if the content resonates. Melissa at bravefeminineleadership.com. Let's get brave. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our bonus interview um, in our Brave Feminine Leadership interview series. I can't think of a more perfect person to introduce you to today for our bonus interview. I'm going to introduce you to Jacinta Whelan in a minute. Um, Jacinta may just help some of you with the next step in the jigsaw puzzle of your career. You know, I know right now with COVID as the backdrop, more people than ever are questioning um, what might be the next move for them, what might be the right move for them. So I'm really excited about our conversation. So let me share some information about Jacinta. Excuse me if I look down briefly to do that. Mm -hmm. Jacinta has a true passion for human connection. Her husband thinks she's paid to have coffees all day. Her mum believes she can get the whole world a job and personally Jacinta resonates with the Winston Churchill quote, if you find a job you love, you'll never work again. Jacinta is a partner at Watermark Executive Search. She's an author, a thought leader and a speaker on the concept of interim executive, a career and a passion that all started from a stopover in Hong Kong a chance meeting on her way home from London and to quote her own words back at her, uh, to grow up and get on with life. So I can't wait to hear how you grew up and got on with, with life. Welcome, Jacinta. Thanks, Melissa. Looking forward to today. Right. So firstly, for anyone who hasn't had the pleasure of coming across you before, would you mind um, taking a couple of minutes to just tell us about yourself and your passion and, and where it all came from and who you are? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, Jacinta Whelan, and I'm a partner at Watermark, as Melissa mentioned, and, and the area that I specialise in and really passionate about is interim executives. So I think um, the journey did begin uh, quite serendipitously, and you don't actually realise as you build a career until probably a bit further down with hindsight that it's all heading somewhere. And, and so I've just been doing what I've enjoyed doing. I love the pace of interim. I love the concept that it's newer, that it's pushing some boundaries from traditional um, permanent ways we work. I love that it's challenging the structures of a um, hierarchical, the traditional sort of triangle of a hierarchy. And, and I've met the most fabulous people. The area that I work at is sort of sort of the top executive level. So it's, it's an absolute delight to work with people who've had amazing careers um, and are ready and at a stage where they're thinking differently about how they engage that purpose and that passion um, so for the most part I'm talking all day as my husband rightly thinks having coffees all day and hearing fascinating career stories and I love it I love the I love the solving the problem I love hearing the client problem and then these fabulous people you know that I, I know the right person and feel like you've sort of wrapped your arms around potentially Australia's brains trust is how I think of it because you have got people who a traditional model might have said, um, thank you for your service, um, think differently about how you work, and for a whole host of reasons, sort of societal reasons of demographics and um, 
and sort of gender and all the other sort of social overlays, there's a whole lot of reasons why we're all choosing to work differently, work longer, um, and, and really lining up behind work that aligns with what we want to do. So long way to sort of say this is absolutely my passion, um, you know, and it's it's really easy to talk about it all day. I go off on tangents, so please pull me back in whenever I need it. You neatly sidestepped telling us anything about yourself or your journey, so I'm going to take you right back there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I know you shared with me that, um, well, number one, you're from a family of six kids. Yeah, from a big country family in New South Wales and, you know, a big, happy, loud, boisterous um, a childhood, went to boarding school and loved it. Felt like I found my tribe at boarding school. Yeah. There was other country girls um, and my parents live in Dubbo, so sort of those country girls that are from Cobar, Walgut, Lightning Ridge, Canamble, um, that sort of west, um, western New South Wales, met this tribe of girls who were like me, you know, mm -hmm. wanted to work hard, knew that we were going to university, uh, saw the world as a bigger place than perhaps those little towns we'd all grown up and absolutely thrived in that environment. Um, then went, you know, did um, lucky enough go to university and um, actually got a scholarship to study accounting. Um, probably accounting isn't, it isn't where I was ever going to end up, but it, you know, it, it helped me get there and it funded my way. And um, so I always had a combination of doing lots of different jobs while I sort of did my degree as well and studied that six years and then couldn't wait to get overseas. Um, as many people have done, did the overseas experience and it was, it was that journey that um, I went over and was an interim executive, uh, but not executive then because I was a lot younger, but I was an interim and I loved it. It allowed me all this flexibility. Um, and then that sort of uh, moment when I was coming back from London to grow up um, and think that I should, you know, that's been fun. Isn't that real? Yep. Um, maybe I better go back and actually get a real job and was offered the opportunity in Hong Kong to start the interim practice. Um, and that sort of came from, in my mind, came from nowhere. I've since spoken to um, the gentleman who hired me and he just said we could see it straight away. But, um, you know, and so in the nature of um, let's put off growing up for a little bit longer, yep. took that opportunity um, and in an environment where, you know, it's a different culture, the very concept of not having a permanent job in some Asian cultures goes counter to um, a lot of the elements of safe face and, you know, mm. how do you tell your family what you do? There's a lot of pride in that, as in every culture, but particularly in Asia and, and thrived in an environment where, and probably thrived because there was a, a low expectation. I didn't really know what I didn't know. No. Um, and then did that and was offered to do the same. Could I go and set that up in New York? And I mean, who's not going to grab that with both hands, right? Amazing. Um, it, and went over to New York, um, did the same, was there through all of September the 11th, all those sort of things. Oh, wow. So that's a whole other story yeah. over a glass of wine, but um, fascinating social study of people and time and reaction. Uh, but we'll, as I said, we'll park that one. And then then came back and was again still thinking, well, now I better grow up um, and was offered a job with uh, part of Deloitte's business that we're looking at their interim business because it's what I'd done. And so this pattern started to emerge of, you know, I can obviously do this. I feel really comfortable doing it. I love doing it. Mm. And, and now sort of, you know, 25 years later, here I am having 
followed what I wanted to be doing long before it was, um, trendy is not even the right word, but long before it was a thing. Mm. Um, just I thought this is, you know, clearly there's a little niche here and it suits me and it suits what my skills. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll explore a bit more, but fascinating to see a, it's not a subculture, but a sort of a different way of working emerge over a time. Um, and, you know, for me, that the elements of success are always time and passion. Mm. That's Success equals time plus passion. And so um, I already had the passion and I've now done the years or the miles in my legs. So, you know, that's probably the success of it. Can I ask, um, and I wonder whether they shared it with you, but I'd be really interested to know when you said you uh, you caught up with the person that hired mm-hmm. you and sort of spotted spotted what perhaps you had no idea about yourself mm-hmm. at that point in time, what did they see? And I've got a follow-on question to that mm-hmm. is, is that something, you know, are there things that you look for in people mm-hmm. that sort of link back to, to that, what they saw in you? They did. They did tell me what they saw. They said they saw a a confident young lady, yep, <laughs> um, who could sort of stand up for what she wanted and just jump in and do things. So, wasn't afraid of hard work, um, but tenacious with it. You know, not expecting anything. Just sort of that. Um, and they said to me, it was probably they saw that that country girl, that can do attitude, that um, that sort of you know if you. Someone said to me recently, um, when it comes down to young job hires, um, if they have someone who's been to boarding school um, on their list, they if, if it's all else is equal, they'll go that because you've had to grow up, you've, you've, <laughs> you've had to um, stand on your own two feet early. And, and I think they probably saw a combination of all that bubble up. I'm from a big family. I can hold my own. Um, you know, within that, I, you show leadership. Um, and and it probably it's, it's an easy wrap up to say they probably saw the country girl. Which uh, which child are you out of interest? I'm the third of six. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. So not necessarily the stereotypical first. No, I know like that. that. Yeah, you know why I asked. Yeah. So absolutely. So. Yeah. Um, uh, but on that, you'll laugh because I've got an elder brother and sister, and even growing up, whenever mum went away, she'd say, "Now Jacinta's in charge." <laughs> And my older sister would have a head in a book and my brother would be out kicking a football. And, and so natural positions rise up. And um, yeah. mum would have said that from six, seven, eight years old. Um, just quickly, um, if anyone's listening to the audio on this, they won't have seen me put my hand up when you reference the boarding <laughs> school point. Yeah. Um, and I too went to boarding school mm. um, for different reasons than you. Uh, you grew up in the country and I grew mm. up as far removed from that as possible. I grew up in Hong Kong. So I sort of did the boarding school experience, found my tribe, who interestingly were the country girls who were at school yeah. with me, who are still my best friends today. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful combination. Jacinta, um, you and I first met um, over 10 years ago now, mm-hmm. and you and I were one of only a couple of females um, sitting in a room of CEOs yes. at various points in our career. I just wonder, have you... Um, you know, had that been a normal thing for you to find yourself as the only female in lots of environments or, or not? Absolutely. I uh, and, and young. 
Um, yeah. So um, probably like you was given um, wonderful opportunities at, at a young age. And it's a funny one because I, I was always quite conscious that I was young. And then there comes a point when you're not young anymore. And you're like, oh, I was sort of hanging on to young. And now I'm not. <laughs> what a pity. <laughs> What, what point is that? I'm just checking. <laughs> uh, you know, you know when it tip oh, lips. Um, I know. And um, I try, absolutely, you know, we were part of a great group, and but there weren't many females. I purposely, there's an interesting sort of juggle we have. I didn't want to make it a women issue because I had a seat at that table and I, I knew that I had a job to perform and speak up at that environment. Um and I probably preferred to go to events where I was the only female rather than go to all female events, yep. um, waving the banner that we don't have enough female leaders. I thought I've actually got to, um, you know, to hack this from inside the Trojan horse, get yep. in there and then make a change. Um, so yes is the answer. I'd like to say it's changed, but you know, some of the numbers are pretty stubborn, aren't they? Yeah. And, I, and I bet if we had a similar forum to what we were at, I think in the Melbourne chapter there was four or five women, weren't they? To probably fifty or sixty men. That's right. Um, and that's probably still quite reflective, which is um, which is a loss. I think a pity, a loss. Um, you know, you could say it's sad, but sad's that's it. That's quite passive. Yes. Yeah. I wanted to ask you just while we're on that theme, and, mm. and we're going to move to interim executive because I know mm. people are super keen to understand what that's about. But before we do, I just wonder. Um, you know, this series has just highlighted that there really are so many people out there who are holding themselves back through their own self-doubt. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there's a couple of things that I think will become parts of our conversation. But when I recently surveyed um, the audience, and we had over a 1,000 people who viewed the, the interview series mm -hmm. um, across the period, the things people were particularly interested in were how to use their own strengths to be a better leader, how to translate the learnings they'd taken away into actions to get stuff done. And then the last two where I want us to sort of focus is mm. how to network and build deep relationships yep. Um, yep. and how to find their voice and push doubt yep. aside. And I just think with those, particularly those last two, a lot of what's resonated for people in the series is people sharing points when they've felt particularly vulnerable and they've had to push their own self-doubts aside. When I bring that up, does something spring to mind for you as, as a time that sort of stands out? A time of vulnerability. Yeah, you know, there's, there's different magnitudes of vulnerability across the journey. Um, so absolutely there's moments and it's that... Um, you know, that inner voice, I think, uh, and I heard a fascinating uh, piece the other day that said your inner voice is actually there to protect you and is doing a good job. So it's not a case of getting rid of your inner voice, but it's time to sit over in the passenger side. Yeah. I'm on the driver's seat. I hear you. Your job's to protect me, but I'm not going to let you override me. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's probably that constantly happening. Um, but vulnerability, there was um, many expats would probably um, sort of resonate with this, but I, I came home after 10 years being... And living and working overseas and what I thought were you know big cities that were hard to crack and all those sort of things um, and came back to a marketplace that sort of said you may have set up a business in New York you may have set one up in, in Hong Kong but I'm not sure you could do it back here in Australia and it's that uh, it's a vulnerability because you don't know how to overcome it like I believed in myself but it's it, it, that's only one part of the equation the real challenge of vulnerability is to to sort of build that bridge from vulnerability to solution. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, so other times of vulnerability, I think COVID probably made us all a little bit vulnerable. You know, if I think about um, the rug pulled out from under you. Um, yeah. So those sort of big transition points of coming back from overseas and having to re-establish myself in my home country where the, the freedom and the beauty of living overseas is there's always a fallback option. You can always go home if it doesn't work. Yeah. Um, and so that probably frees you up to do or um, take on opportunities that you mightn't always take. Whereas when you are home and this is your fallback option, you've got to make it work. Mm. Um, so you then sort of you maybe potentially feel your backs up against the wall a little bit and you've got to fight from that corner out. Mm. Um, so I found that quite a um, an interesting place to explore from and vulnerable. Do you, do you think that experience, just picking up on expats for a minute, because I've got a, a terrific friend who's going to make that journey herself in, in the next sort of 12 to 18 months. Mm -hmm. Do you think that experience has changed or do you still think it is difficult? No, I didn't think so. You know, I speak in the course of my work, um, I speak to a lot of people and particularly in a COVID world where people are sort of saying, I'd quite like to come home and to a person, 100% of them find the challenge and the, the real shock for people is that, you know, I'm used to, I've, I've got my head around if I go to another country, that should be hard, yes. but coming home should be easy. Yeah. And so it's it's a mixture of your expectation isn't met from your own expectation and then the marketplace and the size of our market. So, the you know, some of the common sort of stories would be, like mine probably, I've done this in New York and Hong Kong, how hard can it be to do it in Australia, right? whatever it is. Yes. Um, and yet what you're up against is people who don't have a reference point of your experience and they've been working really hard in a marketplace here and feel quite threatened by someone coming back. Mm. Um, and, you know, Johnny come lately to some degree and sort of say, I've done bigger, I've done better, You let me tell you how to do it. Yes. Um, and so both sides have actually um, a responsibility to overcome that. Um, and it's, it's not easy. I don't think it's changed, unfortunately. It feels like a really good point for us to start talking about interim mm. executives. And uh, I can see tucked up behind you uh, a very exciting book that you've mm. just released. So you were you were highly productive during uh, COVID. <laughs> I was. But the rise of the interim executive. Now, I know that's available for, for people to get access to, but can we just spend some time talking about what it, what is it? Mm. And from your perspective, who should be considering it? Yeah, and, and probably who shouldn't. So that's... Um, okay, good. Yeah. So an interim executive is someone who uh, chooses to work in a portfolio career point of view, and I'm quite visual, so I'll probably use my hands a bit here. If a permanent role is... One employer there that we trade time and, and money. So we've agreed to sign up for 40, 50, 60, 70 hours a week for yep. a salary that's fed to us um, each month. And you're committed to that one employer. An interim career or portfolio career is where you, the top of your funnel is wider and you've got more opportunities dropping down into a revenue stream, of which one of those can be an interim executive. The other buckets at the top of that funnel um, can be absolutely anything but uh, you know if you had some common examples that might be an interim executive career a board career maybe you've got your own investments maybe you flip properties maybe whatever it else it is you do you're at a stage of life that you um, no longer want or need a traditional permanent role and you are now thinking about 
owning your career and the agency in your career is a really important part of an interim um, because it's saying, I still wanna work with things that align with my passion and my purpose, but I wanna do it a bit more on my terms. Mm -hmm. So that mightn't be uh, 52 weeks a year. It might look different. It might mean that it's part-time. It might mean that it's six months stints and then not work for six months. But essentially what it's doing is taking, um, uh, you've had a permanent position here, which society knows what that looks like quite well, and saying, I still want to do really interesting work, but I actually want to change up how I do that and how I engage with it, and I want to own it. So that's what, it, and the book itself is, um, it's a guide to try and put into one place all the questions people ask about being an interim. Um, I've co-written it with Caroline McAuliffe, who's the me in Sydney. So she's the, um, the lead interim partner in the Sydney office. And we wanted to sort of, um, there's a lot of people that come and ask, what is it, what isn't it? Um, should I do it? Should I not do it? So that's the purpose of the book, really, to be a, um, a conversation with people who are at this stage of thinking about what it is. Um, and what it is and what it isn't. So it's when it's right for people, it's a really easy answer. So some people come and say, should I do it? I don't have to actually answer whether you should do it or not. The, the perfect uh, relationship I have with people who choose to do this, they're doing it anyway. Right. And they would do it without actually probably even knowing about a broker or a model. Um, for people who are at the stage of life that they say, no longer choose a permanent career. My plan A is to um, own the control of where I spend my time. And so then out of that, we start to drill down. And if you're, you can, you can do it for any functional expertise. You can be a CFO, a head of HR, a CEO, a head of operations, a head of procurement. But more and more companies are saying, accessing the talent for the point in time that I need it is a really smart way to do things. So there's, there's two sides to the interim equation. You need people who want to work this way, that what I would call the supply side, and the books for the supply side people thinking about it yes um, but equally important you need companies saying this is a clever way to get executive level talent and there's been a real shift of people sort of saying this is one of our options before you sort of you're either a permanent or there was no other option you've employed people permanently and that's it yes so a big part of the shift has happened on the client and the organizational side um but an equally big shift has happened for people. And there's a whole lot of reasons for both of those that you can dig into, but you actually have to have supply and demand. And in Australia, um, well, let, let me take a step back, the rest of the world are really advanced in this. Somewhere like the UK um, has, um, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of providers of interim. And, you know, there's a professional association of interim. So this is a quite a, um, known accepted way to work right in Australia um, we've sort of taken that up a little bit slower the rest of the world when the GFC he really sort of switched everyone from a permanent labor bucket to maybe some more people into the contingent labor bucket okay um, Australia didn't have to when the GFC hit for all of the um, reasons that we wrote out the economy differently and only about two or three years ago did did I start to see this huge shift in Australia of an acceptance of it? But the acceptance had to be met by the people side of it, saying, actually, I want to work differently. I want to think differently about this. And so a big part of that people side is probably, you know, all of these demographics, you've now got people who 
um, if you had a sort of a typical profile of a person, they tell me things like um, the kids have grown, school fees have paid, the mortgage is all but under control, maybe I'm not the only breadwinner, and, and I can all of a sudden think differently about how I work. So when people come to me and tell me that, I sort of go, right, you're thinking the right thing, yeah. and this feels like a good match. What it's not, importantly, is it's not a quick solution if you've lost your job. A lot of people say, I've lost my job, or I've, you know, find myself for COVID or any other reason um, not in employment, and I need to quickly turn this around. Can I get a job with you? Um, and either hopefully it'll go perm, or when a better offer comes up, I'll take it. Right. Um, and I get the thinking behind that, mm. but the, the model, when a client rings me, they don't want someone, the client's not paying fees for someone who's only filling in until a better offer comes. Right. Um, or there is opportunity statistically 10% of the time people do convert to perm but when a client picks up the phone to us they're not actually saying that no what they're saying is we want a problem solved and you've got your arms around a pool of people who are choosing to work this way and can help me solve it um, so that's probably a big part of what it's not right for it's not a quick fix okay so I'm hearing in that um, I'm hearing in that when you talk about uh, kids have grown and, mm -hmm. and school fees are paid and those sorts of things I'm I'm imagining then that that is people who are who are older potentially um, and I'm just wondering could there be um, you know do, do you place younger people who who are just choosing to work this way because it suits them as well? Absolutely. So your older is is relative, Melissa. And you know, I would have once said, you know, that this was a baby boomer thing. It's actually not. The the people okay. that we are most likely placing are late forties, fifty. Yes. So they're sort of exes. But what it it's more of a stage of life rather than an age, huh. because you can be thirty but not have to put kids through private school and things like that. So choose to work like this. Um, my business model works with the senior people. So by default, they've probably got some uh, wisdom and some years. Yes. Um, and so I would kick in probably at sort of the C-suite. But there's a whole marketplace of people who are um, thinking differently. And the, the generations entering the workforce now are entering the workforce with this their mindset. Absolutely. This is, this is absolutely how you start off. We're catching people at the end and they've sort of been through the, the hierarchy that looks like this, the traditional hierarchy. Um, so we're, we've got a model that works for people potentially at once they've made the CEO or made the CFO. Um, but what you're finding as people enter the workforce, um, they are entering, there's very few of them would think I'm going to have a job for life. No. Or that I'm going to stay here forever. So the whole mindset of how we work has shifted. So it's right across all the generations um, and the books focus mainly on the senior end, but there's a whole body of work um, and theories and, and studies around this as a whole, you know, the whole workforce is thinking like this. Mm. Um, and I'm assuming from an Australian perspective, I know you'd seen fast growth in this space already, but I'm assuming COVID may have accelerated that even further. Is that, are you seeing that in your space? Yeah, um, interestingly, none of us knew what would happen when COVID hit. And for interim, what we found, I thought maybe people would pull budgets and pull people off, et cetera. Um, for us, um, it, 
absolutely cemented. What, what we bring to the market is people with wisdom, experience, some war wounds, been there, done it, I can help you solve it. And there's never been a time that businesses needed that more than COVID. Absolutely. So of all the people who were on assignment, they all stayed, which I didn't expect, and a third of them extended because businesses actually were craving that wisdom and the maturity of our cohort of people. Um, and it, it, everyone else went to their normal time. But um, so it's absolutely people are coming to us, clients are coming to us and saying the idea of borrowing really senior skills in bite-sized chunks is really clever because none of us actually know what the future looks like no. and we can't plan that far out and maybe we're not hiring a permanent person for that reason we can't we can't go to market and tell them what the future looks like you know we haven't got a strategy around that yep. what they're saying to us could we borrow some people to get us through um and and then we'll sort of you know we'll borrow them for this point in time and if we need them here to look at cost cutting or you know um covid funding models or whatever it might be then when we get to the next phase, we'll get a new set of skills. So we're borrowing yes. skills for the point in time we want them. So COVID, without a doubt, is, is given interim. Maybe it's time in the sun. Mm. What, what I think is, well, I've been, I say I've been banging on about this for 20 years, but it feels like it's the first time a lot of people heard it. Right. And you only ever hear it when you're ready to hear it. Yeah. Uh, and so um, that feels like having all the education. It's been around for a long time. But it's only until you need something that you sort of look for it. Attention. It pops up. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, I wanted to ask you about networking. Mm. And I wanted to ask about, I know you're um, quite passionate about people making sure they build deep mm. networks. Um, so let's talk about what that is. And I think maybe against the backdrop, one of the things that... Um, you know, I remember um, hearing at some point in my career is up until a certain point in your career, your technical skills are the things that matter the most. Um, and then there comes a point when you move into um, senior roles where all of that is still incredibly important. It's, it's, it's an assumed and a given, um, but your network and your, you know, all of those skills become so much more important. So I just thought, tell me, Tell me what people need to know about building appropriate networks. It's um, poor old networking, I think, gets a bit of a bad rap. It's still, even though we're all mature enough to know differently, people still associate it with terrible bad wine standing around not knowing anyone at an event. And that's a, a naive view of networking that doesn't help any of us. So I meet lots of different people and, and a lot of them, you know, 80, 90% of people say my networks aren't as strong as they should be. They either say two things. They're, they're either very confident, I've got a network, um, and, and, and I'll explore what that means, looks like, or they sort of put on the table, I've been so busy working that, you know, I actually haven't had time to keep my networks up. So for th that group of people, I say, that's funny because everyone else thinks the same. So if that's, if that's where we all start the journey of networking, then stop it being an excuse because you're the same as everyone else. So um, that's what you think. But to start it from today, what does my network look like today? And your network is people who are willing to go out of their way and help you. Okay. So those other people that I mentioned who come completely confident and say, so I've got this, it's great. And I say, Let, let's unpack your network a bit. What does that look like? How are they going to help you? How are you approaching them? How are you telling them what you can do? And, you know, some of them sort of come and say, well, I was the 
the CFO of a big ASX listed company. So I know the auditors and I know the bankers and I know. And I say, okay, that's actually not your network. Mm. They had to know you because of your job title. And they, they're knowing and liking and, and networking with your title, the seat that you sat in, not you. Absolutely. But it's none of their job to help you get your next job if that's what you want. And it's not their job once you're not in that seat to invite you to the footy or whatever it might be that was considered networking. So, so then if we sort of both those groups are now together because the person who thought they had all the networks probably goes, oh, actually, they're not really there to help me. Yeah. And the person who said I didn't have enough networks sort of says, well, I've got to start from today. And then networking is about if you can tell people how they can help you, people are really open to help you. And, you know, and I debunk any myth that says people aren't open to helping people or people pull ladders up behind them because I've, I've actually never seen it and from talking to lots and lots of people. And so a network is what is it that you should be doing? The piece that's easiest is getting a coffee with people. But the harder part of that conversation is then when you've earned the right to get that cop, cup of coffee, making the most of that time, because too often you only ever tap your network, network when you need something. And if we all play this social contract right, people understand that. Yes. And so you didn't have to call them every week while you were busy. You mm. just pop out at the time you're not busy and you need help. And for people you've previously worked with, someone who will go out of their way to help you. And it's probably that, you know, people who you've worked with, past employees, um, you know, over your career who have you worked with that would give you a cup of coffee that's mm. pretty much a starting point for your network and then you've got to tell them how they can help you because too many people go and, and get the coffee and they think yeah I've achieved it I've got the coffee that's my job but your job that's the beginning of your job to network it's now Melissa how can you help me is what I'm thinking so you have to give and you have to get all of those rules of networking but unless I come to you and say you know, I'm a CFO and I work in FMCG and I'm now doing consulting. If you hear of anything, Melissa, can you keep me in mind? Mm-hmm. You know how to help me. You've got a couple of little hooks in your mind where you could sort of go, okay, I will keep you in mind. Mm. Whereas if, if you and I just catch up about everything we've done, when we used to work together, chew the fat a bit, and then I walk away going, God, I hope she knows I need a job. Yeah. Isn't that you can't help me? And then the worst case scenario there is if I come to you and I say Melissa call me for anything I can do anything right because then you can't help me at all you can help me even less than me to say nothing yeah because clearly I can't do everything and so it's actually we would use the words know your superpowers what is it that someone will put money on the table for you to do and feel comfortable find your own words so that that doesn't feel icky in the conversation by you accepting the coffee with me you knew I wanted something Yes. And so by me walking away without asking for help, I feel like I've left 50 bucks on the table. That is, um, you know, I think that will almost be a big permission slip for people Mm -hmm. um, hearing you say that um, because, you know, I think people don't understand that, number one, I wholeheartedly agree people Mm -hmm. are generous with their time Mm -hmm. and and willing to help. Yeah. Secondly, you know, I think people are not, a large number of people are not comfortable or prepared to outline what it is they need when Mm. they do actually catch up with someone. 
um, as if potentially by just knowing that person, it's it's going to magically perhaps open doors or or mm. otherwise. So I think that's um, it's really important. I just wanted to pause on what you said there because mm. I think people need to absorb that. Yeah, and I'll add it. This is unwritten social contract. Um, if I call you and ask for help and you're prepared to help me, we've already opened up a contract with each other. Yeah. And we all know what's in it. So no one ever says it. So wouldn't it be good just to almost put it on the table and um, and then honour both of that? You've got to find the right words that make you feel comfortable to talk about what you do and how someone can help you. Mm. And the easiest part's always getting the coffee. So we rush to do that because the other part's self-reflective and you've actually got to know what it is that you can bring to the table. And it's got to be not generic because, you know, if I had a dollar for every time people say, call me for anything, I was like, ah, yeah. what does that even mean? Yeah. And and you started this by saying you, you, you come up through your functional skills and then as a leader you get your general skills. I picture that in a, a T-bar, if you will, where you you have a skill set, you're the head of HR, you're the head of finance, you're the head of procurement, and you get better and better and more senior and senior at it. So then you start getting generalist skills, which go across yes. the horizon. So you start with strategy, you start with leadership, you start with vision, you know, So and, and then when you're an executive, to your point, people are buying the, the generalist skills and your T-bar, the vertical, is the given. So, of course, you're the CFO. Everyone knows I'm the CFO. And I've yes. got these things. Yeah. When you're out to your network, you almost need to flip that over because when you're going for a permanent job, people are buying your runway, they're buying your top of your tee. Yes. Um, for interim, what they're buying is your vertical because the top of your tee is a given. It's a ticket to the game. Yep. You've absolutely got to be good at strategy, good at vision. That's, that's of course, but you're a leader. Yes. But I'm not paying for that. I'm not putting money on the table for it. It's a default and I get it and I expect it. Yes. Right yep. But what I'm buying is you can help me solve a problem in your functional area. So you can help me solve a HR problem, a procurement problem. And of course, you're going to be a good leader. And, and when I'm dealing with interim people, the narrative of those two, when you're going for a perm job, the top of the T is what you sell. Yep. And when you're going for an interim role, you sell your vertical. Mm. Um, so I hope I haven't confused that too much. Not but at all. So that's really saying be clear about how you are going to bring value to the situation. And I, and I actually think it helps whether you're going for interim or perm. So I, I use that to explain what I want for interim. But if you are crystal clear in your offering and you will stand out a mile, because let me tell you, everyone comes to us and says, I'm a good at strategy, I'm good at vision, I'm good at leadership. And I'm like, what does that even mean? Yeah. Yeah. And and every other person down that whole line you're looking at has said exactly the same to me. So if you can own more than that, you already stand out from the crowd. Do you see any difference um, in um, in males or females when they come to you? And I only ask that because a lot of the research talks about um, females tend to wait for external validation before they put their hand up for situations. At the level you're dealing, do you see that? I feel like a lovely part of the level I'm dealing with is by the time you're at our, at the sort of level that I'm working with, you've usually already got your confidence, you know, so all of those sort of things, not, not always, but for the yeah. most part, you, it's not. So we're not sort of, um, we're, I'm not dealing with that. And isn't that lovely? Because 
Um, it feels like it's evil when you start the workforce. And then we all know the different journeys as you're in the middle of the workforce. But where it pops up at what I do, which is sort of the C-suite, it's actually back to quite an even playing field. Right. And we would, um, you know, we place absolutely 50% of our interim roles at female, 50% uh, male, because what people want is someone who's proven and, and experienced and already done it. So they care less about how you did it or the journey you took to get there. It's yeah. have you done it? Yes, yeah. I want you. Yeah. Um, so lovely to think that it's off the table at a certain point. It's it's a pity to think you've got to get all the way up to the top for it to be off the table. But um, I don't find that, which is nice. That's good. I'm, I'm very pleased to hear that. Um, I wanted to ask you, a lot of people watching this um, will look at you and think, um, you know, in that typical way of comparison that people often have, you know, I could, uh, isn't she wonderful? I could never do, um, you know, what Jacinta has done or, you know, all of those sorts of things. How do you respond to that? Yeah, it's a, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because everyone only takes success at its highest point. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, I, I think I started this whole conversation by saying for me, success is passion and time. And so I've already got the passion about what I do and I've been doing it a long time. So those two combination mean that, you know, um, you know, the day you see me, I've written a book that clearly that doesn't happen overnight. Yes. Um, and so what do I say to people who just sort of see the, um, the end result that it's a journey? Uh, and sometimes the the rhyme or reason of your journey doesn't make sense while you're doing it, and only hindsight gives you gives you the view and and where you get success from. Um, I think the idea that um, anyone is just successful at a point in time is ridiculous. Yes, because if you look at any of the people we all look up to, all the people that I've been watching on your sort of prior podcasts. They've told away for years as a lawyer or as an accountant, whatever their job was, and then all of a sudden it looks like they just popped up and they were an overnight success. And um, and even with the whole interim thing, you know, people haven't heard about it. Sort of go, you're getting onto something here. Yeah, this is this is really good. I haven't heard of this before. Um, and I think, oh my god, I've been talking about this for twenty years, and you still haven't heard. And um, and they say, you know, like you're onto something like it's an overnight success. And you're like, isn't it funny for anyone? Overnight success is 20, 30 years in the making. Amazing. Well, you know, I, I certainly hope, um, you know, it's wonderful that interim is having, as you called it, mm -hmm. its moment in the sun. I think it's a it's a really exciting way for people to think about um, approaching things differently. I'm going to ask you the final question that I've asked mm -hmm. everyone in the series. And it's, it's what this means to you. Um, you know, I'm asking everyone from their perspective, what does brave feminine leadership look like today and does it need to change? I think we're on a big change journey. So I'll start with the end of the question already and it, it, it is changing. So does it need to change? Yes, and it is, which is fabulous. What does it mean? I think it builds on what we were sort of already talking about. It, once you've put in the time and the effort uh, and you've got to senior leadership positions. And I think you need you have a real responsibility to own that um, that moment in the sun to step into it. Um, I think too many people across the whole of society think maybe it's someone else's job to fix that, mm. and whatever that is, um, and 
constantly, as you're sort of a bit older, you're sort of looking down this, you know, imaginary line of thinking, well, someone's got to step forward here. Maybe it's me. And is it my time? And, um, and, and like when you know you're young till you're old, you know. All of a sudden you're there and you think, actually, I better own this because I don't know that anyone else is going to. And why not me? Yeah. And if I take it right back, I remember when I was asked to go to move from Hong Kong to New York, they said a lot of people want to go, would love to go to New York. You know, why would you do this? And I was like, why not me? Mm. You know, so clearly there's a confidence in that, but I'm like, I can hold my own against it. Let, let me look down this line. Yep, no, no one else is good to go. This. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to step right into this one. Um and, and that's what brave feminine leadership means to me, that um, when you've got a moment, you've got to take it, you've got a responsibility to take it. Um, you know, we've, we've talked about we've got children coming through and I often say to my husband, I haven't done enough for my daughter. If, when she grows up, I don't doubt she can have whatever job she wants because I feel like we're all there and she'll be yes. clever enough and all that sort of stuff. But it... If the dial hasn't shifted on what else she has to do on the home front, the bigger picture around it, it's not just your job. It's um, it's is she safe in the workplace? Is she um, is she supported and doesn't have to make all the home decisions? Does she not have to get the dinner every night as well, or you know, buy the birthday presents for the kids? And there's no one else's job but mine to make sure that happens for my daughter. And I've got this window to happen for it to happen, and I've got a platform and a voice. So that I think I. Um, absolutely have to have that responsibility and I, I, I take it really easily because I know what's coming behind needs it. Mm. And uh, and I could not agree with you more from that perspective. And I and I think the same thing for my son because mm-hmm. I think you know I want I want him to have access to you know all of the wonderful activities that I think traditionally were you know were very female sort of gendered mm-hmm. activities. So yeah, I feel we are at the point I think of you know a really exciting. Um, mm. continued change um, in the right direction. So I feel, I feel very excited about the conversations going on. Um, it's it's uh, like you, so do I. Just it feels it's all bubbling up and it's, it's fascinating to be in the middle of this amount, much change, and I don't even know that we can see it with the clarity. We'll need distance to see it with the clarity of, oh, that's when all that happened, and it's all so interlinked you know sometimes we try and take apart the interim model and how work's changing with how um, gender lens is changing how demographics is changing and you can't pull one of those threads without the whole lot changing mm. and and that's the bit that I uh, I think might have been missed I think people thought we could just change a demographic shift and everything else would stay the same or we could just talk about gender and the way your work wouldn't have to change yep. yet you know um yeah, the strings are all intertwined um, and watch this space. And isn't it amazing? And aren't we lucky to be living in such change? Incredible. Um, but there'll be moments where it's slow and then it jumps forward and, you know, there's all the normal things. And the, um, I had, I'll, I'll finish up by sharing. I had to fight for the little school that my kids to go to for um, the girls to be able to wear trousers with their winter uniform. Right. Um, I thought that was a no-brainer, right? You know, yep. they've normally got dresses. They can wear what they want, get them some trousers. And I was like, yeah. And then my daughter still wants to wear the dress. And I was like, I feel like the women who fought to vote <laughs> and now you're wearing the dress. 
And, then, and my husband says, it's not her fight to have. She, yeah. You're fighting it, so she takes it for granted that she can wear whatever. And, and I get that. Yeah. <laughs> my mom and I, boy, these pants and, yeah. And uh, and she's like, I'll wear the dress thanks, mum. And I was like, well, isn't that great that she's now at least got the choice? But yeah. I, that's that big leap forward. And then, you know, it's, it's a funny one. I have really loved our conversation today. And there are so many, um, you know, I think, tips and, and nuggets for people to kind of absorb in there. One of the key ones I take is um, if people are keen to consider interim, um, then you may well be open to a coffee with them, but yes. please could they show up with a clear understanding of what it is they'd like you to do and how you'd Thank like you. Thank you. <laughs> I only use this. <laughs> so brilliant. Thanks so much, Cinta, for being part of the conversation. It's been lovely having you. A pleasure and love what you're doing. Thank you, Melissa. Hello there. If you're enjoying the podcast and would love to accelerate your own growth and leadership, then head to bravefeminineleadership.com forward slash brave tips for your gift from me, where I've captured all of the amazing tips and themes that came out of these conversations. I hope they help you feel your brave rising.